Well, good morning. How are we all? Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... All right, this is an all-in exercise. Um, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Great. Where the truth will set you, who the sun sets, shall be indeed, right? Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim. Come on, all together. One, two, three. That's it. Freedom for the captives. So what's in this room this morning? Freedom. Who wants to have a crack at what I'm going to share about this morning? Great. Well done. You're all prophetic. Um, Have a seat. Have a seat. Freedom. Who's seen Braveheart? William Wallace. Paint your face blue. I've not seen it. But uh, I'd love for you to share share with me the great moments. I looked at it on Netflix and it said three hours. And I went, look, I've heard great things, but... A three-hour movie. I don't think I got it in me, you know? My attention spans like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, three hours. No deal. No deal. But look, maybe I'll get to it tonight. But freedom. Freedom is something that is all throughout the Bible. Before I go to freedom, I want to first touch on what we touched on last week. Andrew spoke to us about the priesthood. And I want to go back a step, and I'll, I'll explain why um, in a moment. But the priesthood is so important. The priesthood of all believers is something that I love about the church. You know, in the Old Testament, the priest was a mediator who stood between God and who stood between man, who stood in the gap. He offered sacrifices to God on behalf of man. And he spoke to man on behalf of God. If we go back to Numbers chapter 18, you can read a whole chapter that's on the duties of priests. You know, the priests in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament were the only ones that were able to enter the Holy of Holies. The priests were the only ones that could represent God to man. And now we live in the New Covenant where we all have access to the Holy of Holies, where each person in this room is a representative of God to his people, where each person sitting in this room is significant and unique and special. You know, the primary feature of the priestly system was that the holiness of God would be revealed on the earth. The primary function of you and I as the priesthood of all believers is that God's holiness would be revealed through us to the body. You know, as you, as you come in and as you sit in this room, I, it's so easy to think that you're insignificant. You know, the Western church, there's a stage, there's a platform. It's so easy to think this is the significant thing. But each person in this room carries something unique. And the way that you bring that into the room is so significant. 
each of us have different gifts. We have different dreams. We have different, um, different, different characteristics and personalities. It's so easy to look at this and go, the guy up the front, that's the significant one. But each of us carries something so significant. And when we miss what each other carries, the church misses out. Everyone in this room is significant both to God and to his people. Only you can move his heart the way you do. And each person in this room needs what each other carries. You know, it's beautiful to sit in a Bible study where there's young and old, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, and to sit in that room where everyone is different. But God gives us freedom to express that and to, by his spirit, bring it all together so that we would all grow, so that we would all have a better picture of his holiness. And I just want to encourage us, whether you're a mother or a father or a son or a daughter, whether you're gifted in this or that, it's significant. When you walk into this room, to be honest, when you walk into any room, God says, you're a part of the body. You're significant. What you carry, what you bring to this thing is so significant. And it's a lie that, the, that, we, that we believe that the thing on the stage is what's significant. Each of us in this room are a representative from God to his people each uniquely representing him. How about I pray for us? So God, I thank you that um, that is true, that you say that each of us is significant. And God, I also thank you that right here this morning that we are the free, that we are the people that live in your freedom. God, we thank you for Jesus. And God, would you put a focus um, on us now as we open your word and open your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 2, um, we're going to start with verse 16, which is halfway through the passage. So if you want to open up um, to that, it says this, So live as free people. You know, freedom, it's a bit of a Christian buzzword, right? It's kind of like this airy-fairy concept that we dream about and we talk about. And it's like this lofty world, freedom. Who'd love to be totally free? Right? All of us in this room. It's like this, this unattainable goal that we think about and we talk about. You know, with the worship guys, we talk about freedom all the time. We talk about freedom in worship. How do we get more of that? How do we go after more of that? But when we're talking about freedom, I want to remind us that freedom isn't this far-off concept. It's not this airy, fairy land that's unattainable, but freedom is who we are in Christ. Freedom's our identity. And, you know, freedom's personal. In my life, freedom's going to look super different to what freedom looks like to you. 
For me, freedom might be me being comfortable in my own skin to sing the loudest in this room, to lift my hands. But for you, freedom might be you comfortable praying for someone. For you this morning, you might be in this room and just tormented with things in your mind and you you might feel like you can't escape. Freedom might be a release from that for you. Freedom is so personal. Freedom is all about you being free to be who God's created you to be. As I said about the priesthood, there is only one of you. And the best thing you can bring to the kingdom is you yourself. The way God created you. For me personally, freedom looks like walking into a room with people and being okay to be quiet and to just listen, to not have to share everything. Because for me, I know that one of the gifts that I carry is compassion. And I love to just sit and look people in the eye and just hear what's going on. That's what freedom looks like for me sometimes. What does freedom look like for you? And whilst freedom might be personal, I want to remind us that freedom isn't self-centered. Freedom's about us becoming open vessels for God to freely flow through. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16 says, Though outwardly we are wasting wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Freedom's about our inner man. Sure, we may see freedom expressed externally by people around us and different things, but freedom's about our our inner man. It's about our soul being free before the king. So freedom's personal, but freedom's not self-centered. You know, I think in the church we often talk about freedom without cost. We often talk about freedom and dream of freedom and think of freedom as this, this great and almighty thing. But I want to remind us that freedom is not without cost. For one, freedom, our freedom, came with a great cost in Jesus. But for us today, freedom, it doesn't mean doing whatever we want. You see, freedom and responsibility go hand in hand. You can never separate the two. And the last thing I want to do this morning is scare us away from freedom. But the reality is that the freer an environment is, the harder it is to manage. The freer a group of people are, the harder it is to manage. So instead of managing freedom, what we like to do is we like to put rules in place. Because rules are heaps easier to manage, right? It's black and white. It's right and wrong. Freedom doesn't mean I can do what I like. Because freedom and responsibility go hand in hand. Verse 16 says, so live as free people. And then the second half, but do not use your freedom to cover up for evil. 
Who remembers the first time they moved out of their parents' home? Freedom, right? Or so you thought. Responsibility. All of a sudden, you got to cook. You got to clean. You've got to organize. I've been out of my parents' place for three and a half years, and only in the last couple of weeks have I learned that you have to wash whites separate to everything else. <laughs> I had a white outfit that turned green in the wash. And I soaked it for like an hour, hour and a half, still green. And I was kind of giving up. <laughs> so what do you do? You drop it back to your mum's place. <laughs> Freedom and responsibility, they go hand in hand. You know, when someone turns 18, they go, oh, yeah, great, freedom. If they don't know how to manage that freedom, they're in big trouble. When you get your license for the first time, yeah, freedom. But if you don't know how to manage that freedom, there's big trouble. Freedom and responsibility, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You know, I think often in the church we take half and we try and ignore the other half. We say we want freedom, we want this. But are we willing to be responsible with that freedom? So live as free people. But don't use your freedom to cover up for evil. How do you manage your freedom? How do you use that freedom? Just because you're free and you can watch whatever TV show you want to watch doesn't mean it's a good thing. Just because you're free to have whatever conversation you think you're free to have with the person down the road doesn't mean it's a good thing. Freedom and responsibility go hand in hand and the more freedom you have, the more responsible you better grow up to have, to carry it. We're going to go back to verse 11. You know, as we read the the rest of this passage, it can be easy to read this as a list of rules, a list of things to do. But Peter was writing this letter as an encouragement. So whilst this seems heavy and big and our responsibility and freedom, it's an encouragement. And I pray that we would receive it as an encouragement. The key themes in this message are of, of identity and of hope. You know, the thing I love, every time God tells us how to live, he first reminds us of who we are. He never gives us a list of external things, of things to do and things to live and ways to do things without first going, you are a holy priesthood. You're a chosen people. He goes first, you are significant. So therefore, the way you manage your freedom is significant, right? 
because if each person in this room, what they carry is significant and unique and special and needed in the body of Christ, the way each of us personally manage our freedom is super important. Peter's writing this letter to the the Christians that are scattered, that are suffering persecution. And what we'll find in this letter is it's easy when you're under persecution to to kind of lose your morality, to lose that sense of freedom and to go, I'm going to fight back in violence. I'm going to try and control this and manipulate this situation. But what Peter's saying is honour the leaders. Sure, you might be getting persecuted for it, but your job is to honour them and to love them. You see, and God reminds us of our identity. It's to release us from a spirit of striving into a spirit of abiding. You know, it's super different when we're striving, when we're living to try and meet up to a line. We're trying to do everything in our own strength. But God says, no, you are a chosen people. You're a holy priesthood. You know the most amazing thing? He says, you are righteous. I don't always feel I'm righteous, think I'm righteous, but God says you are righteous. And he reminds us of our identity as righteous before he tells us what to do. You know, I think sometimes we think obedience is this decision all the time between sin or not sin. But if we're living in our identity... The obedience should just naturally flow. So verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from your sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Again, the soul. God's far more interested in our inner man. I'm not saying he's not interested in our external man. I mean, this whole passage about, is about how to live it out. But he's first and foremost about um, interested in our souls. And the reality is that there is a war going on for our souls. There's a war going on for our inner man. You know, if we're not consciously aware of that, we can get caught out. Do you ever just wake up and you feel disconnected from yourself? where you're kind of going through the motions, you're doing what you do, and you kind of get to a point and you're like, hang on a second. Am I really doing this because I believe in it? Is there heart behind this? Is this something I'm convinced and convicted by God about? Or is this just something I'm rolling through the motions? You know, our souls are caught up in a war. And Hebrews 6.19 says that we have this hope, which is an anchor for the soul. Now, you don't need an anchor for something if it's fixed. Yes, our souls and our eternity is fixed and eternal, but in this life, we need to hang on to hope. Hope is the thing that anchors us, that anchors our souls. So when you get in that place where you feel disconnected from everything going on inside of you to what's going on around you, let's deal with that, yeah? 
Let's not just pass that off. Let's go, no, this is important. You know, Andrew put up a slide maybe six months ago that there was a heart in the middle and he was explaining how the heart is the, the centerpiece of our lives from heaven to earth. Does everyone remember that? Maybe, maybe not. Getting a few blank faces. The way we process our hearts, the way our hearts are free to let him flow through us from heaven to earth is so important and so significant. The second thing we can pull out of this verse is our desires. Our desires are so important. You know, everything is shaping our desires around us. You think about marketing, you go to the shops. And sure, it might be all in the subconscious, but every piece of marketing is trying to sell you what a good life looks like. Every image you see, every billboard you see is trying to say, this is heaven, this is the good life. And it's reshaping our hearts and our minds into this is what I need to desire. And if, if we're not careful, we'll fall into a place where we're more influenced by the world around us than the, than the kingdom that's inside of us. So be careful what you're letting in. And the third thing it says at the start of the verse is that we're foreigners and exiles. We are here from a different world. A chosen people, a holy priesthood set apart. Have you ever just felt super out of place? Last weekend, I went to a, a baby shower. I've been to two of these in my life. And of course, I left to the last minute buying a present. So I went up to a little shop up here. It's called In My Hood, I think. Great shop. Anyway, I walked in and I just immediately felt so out of place. Now, this shop has two sections. One section where the cash register, you can see the people, and then another section where you can kind of hide. <laughs> so naturally, <laughs> I went to the half that you could hide in, yeah? And there was kids and mums and all sorts of stuff I'd never seen before. And we started circling this half where the cash register lady would never see me. I started getting so worked up. You know when you feel yourself breaking into a sweat? And then the cash register lady, she walks over and she goes, Oh, you're the guy from the tuck shop. And I go, Oh, great, you know who I am. You know, we feel, we should, at times in our life, feel out of place. There should be times when we walk through the shops and we see advertising and marketing and we should go, yeah, this isn't right. There should be times when we're watching a TV show or we're reading a book and we should go, hang on a second, this isn't, this isn't right. And, you know, we've got to become open to, to going, no. And it's not a black and white, this is right, this is wrong, but there's like, God, what's helpful for my soul right now? What's helpful for my spirit to be free in you? 
but we need to become open to what the world around us is trying to teach us and feed us and at a point go, God, is this right? By the way, the lady in the shop, she saved my life. <laughs> you know, she just went full mother mode and she goes, all right, it's okay. Is it a boy or a girl? I'm like, boy, how much do you want to spend? Have you thought about rapping? Have you bought a card? No, 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 no. She wrapped it for me. She gave me a card. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> but there should be times and places where something in our spirit goes, no, stop, this isn't helpful. Just because we're free doesn't mean do whatever you want. It means be responsible. There's a world around us that needs the King of Kings. Needs the Lord of Lords. The way we steward our freedom personally is so significant. And just because you sit in a pew and you, you're not under the lights doesn't mean you're any less significant than I am. Verse 12. To live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know, our internal reality must be visibly expressed. It's one thing to, to say we think this, say we believe this. But if it's not expressed and the world around us can't see it, it's kind of no good, right? You know the phrase, actions speak louder than words? I fully believe it. Live such good lives. Verse 13, so submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. I just want to point out there, it's for the Lord's sake. As I said at the start, freedom is personal, but freedom's not self-centered. Freedom's about him flowing through us. Freedom's about him working through us so the world around us can see. It's for the Lord's sake that we should submit to every human authority. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. You know, the Christians in this time, they were suffering severe, severe persecution. There was all sorts of stuff going wrong and we have no framework for persecution here in Sydney. Sure, we might hear things and see things, but do we really experience it? I don't think so. But here's what Peter's saying to the church. Even though you're under persecution, even though there's threat and there's darkness and there's all sorts of things coming against you, it doesn't give you the freedom to kind of give it all up and go to war against the emperor. Live as free people. 
but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. You know, slaves sometimes has a, a bad ring to it, a bad connotation, but you know what slaves do? They do what their masters do. They do what their masters ask them to do, and Jesus says, I do what my father does. And us as God's slaves, we're on the earth to do as he does, as he wills. So whilst we're free, just have a conversation with him. God, is this, is this a good use of my freedom? Is this a good use of my time, of my resource? So show proper respect to everyone. Verse 17. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Show proper respect to everyone. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter whether they've hurt you. Love the family of believers. You know, whether we like it or not, we're a family here. And we're called to move in love. We're not called to move in control or manipulation or bitterness or hurt. We're called to move in love, one toward each other, but sometimes we need it for ourselves. Fear God. Let's have an awareness of his holiness. Let's not take for granted that we are the priesthood and that we have access to the holy of holies like never before. And honor the emperor. Ensure we're not under persecution, but I don't think it changes the concept. Honor your leaders. Honor the government. You know, I think sometimes we feel so removed from government and leadership and I don't know, maybe it's a millennial thing, but we live in a, a world where, especially in my world, where People are anti-authoritarian. People don't like authority. We live in a world that, or certainly in my generation, that says truth is subjective. So I can believe whatever I want. It's not true. Even though we live in a world that's anti-authoritarian, that's thinks truth is subjective, it doesn't make it okay for us to, to slander, for us to speak badly, to write people off. You know, God values honor in the kingdom far more than we realize. Matthew 5 says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
Why is this? Because we're called to bring the world around us into the knowledge of God. Eric Johnson, one of the pastors over at Bethel Church, says this. He says, you'll never influence an environment you're standing outside of throwing rocks at. And sure, we may feel removed and disconnected from our leaders and our government and our authorities in the world, but we will never influence them if we're on the outside throwing rocks. You will only ever love someone into freedom. Someone will never walk themselves into freedom through condemnation and shame. We'll never simply help anyone by telling them what they're bad at. If you're struggling to catch a new vision for someone's life, can I just encourage you to to seek God? to pray about it, to pray with people about it. You know, I might be slow to speak, but that doesn't mean there's things going on in my heart and my, my head that is always helpful. You know, it says here, love the family of believers because it's the family of believers that will help you turn from bitterness and hurt back into love. If you're struggling to to love someone into freedom, whether it's a leader or a friend or someone in the family, get someone from the family of believers who you trust to, to pray into that. And I share this not to shame anyone. God never shames anyone into freedom. God always loves us into freedom. Why does God value honor so much? There's a book called Culture of Honor by a guy named Danny Silk, and he speaks extensively into this um, subject of honor. It's super powerful and helpful. I've got a copy if anyone wants it. But he says this, life flows through honor. The fruit of establishing a culture of honor is that the resurrection life of God begins to flow back into people's lives, homes, and communities, bringing healing, restoration, blessing, joy, hope, and wholeness. In a culture of honor, leaders courageously treat people according to the name God gives them not according to the aliases they receive from people. You know, the kingdom of God values honor, submission, humility, sometimes more than I think we realize. And whilst we may be free to have a conversation about someone, to someone, it doesn't always mean it's a good use of that freedom. (laughs) 
if we were to flick over a few chapters to 2 Peter 1 verse 3, it says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Whilst I agree, it's hard to sometimes honour people who you don't think deserve honour. Whilst it's somewhat sometimes hard to move in love and grace towards people that have hurt, who have made bad choices, he has given us everything we need. He has given us everything we need. How about we stand? To this you were called, this is verse 21, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And Father, I just thank you. that yes, we are free. And I thank you for how much you trust us. But God, would you pour out your spirit afresh on us to be good stewards of that freedom. God, would you put wisdom and discernment on us as a people. that we would see the character of Jesus and go, yeah, whilst they were hurling insults at you, you didn't retaliate. Because you knew who you were. Righteous, holy, and free. In Jesus' name, amen.